RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Well, when I was a parent, I only had to worry about one screen, and that was the screen, uh, no, two screens, because later on I let one of them have a TV in their bedroom. That was a big treat, but it was the family screen, the TV, which became kind of a halfway to a smart TV, but big screen in the lounge, and that was that, and all I had to worry about was that. Now there are multiple screens. There are social media platforms on those screens. There's anything you want to watch on those screens. It's a completely different era. It's come so far so quick, and I'm glad I didn't have to deal with it really as a parent back then. Michael Vaughan is a registered psychologist, and he is joining us on Reality Check Radio with some great useful information about what I've just been talking about. Michael, welcome to RCR. It's great to have you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Now, the scenario I painted when I was doing the parenting thing is a world away from today, isn't it? Yes, yes. The world has become more complex. Way more. Way more. Yeah, way more. Way more. All I had to worry about was, you know, was my daughter going to get too upset watching The Lion King for about the 50th time? (laughs) That was it, really. (laughs) (laughs) Times have changed. Okay, so... I mean, it can be for the better because imagine having all that available to you. But um, there there are downsides and people need to be aware of those downsides, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there are there are lots of positives. Um, you know, the, inf- the amount of information people have got access to these days is amazing. Children can research topics. They can communicate with loved ones when they're away. So... Technology definitely has got advantages, and I'm, I'm definitely not against technology per se, but I think it's really important that we make sure that we're using it for, for our benefit and it's not um, having negative effects. Are you seeing negative effects? Absolutely. Um, I have a private practice where I, I work mainly with children, um, helping with emotional difficulties, developmental difficulties, so I talk to a lot of children and um, obviously their parents bring them and I talk to the parents at the beginning and end of every session. And um, it is without doubt the number one issue causing conflict in the home today. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Well, that's, um, that's a good place to start then, isn't it? <laughs> the number one issue facing the home at the moment. Okay, yeah. well, so how do we break it down? Where, where do you want to start? I mean, I mentioned screen time, then I got on to, and that's part of that, what's on that screen, uh, yada, yada, yada. Where do you want to start with that? Well, there are, there are psychological effects and there are physical effects in terms of, you know, the dangers and what we need to be um, aware of. Um so we can start with either of those, whichever you fancy. Well, the physical effects, is that just too much sitting around, not doing anything or um, eye problems? Or Let's go through that first. Yeah, there's a whole range of physical effects, uh, Paul. Um, there's the fairly obvious ones um, involving, um, you know, kids who are spending lots of time sitting down, playing with devices, um, having screen time, you know, while they're doing that, they're not they're not moving, and um, you know, as 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 we all know, you know, one of the things we're told to, to stay healthy is you know to move. Uh, kids particularly need exercise. Um, so if kids are spending lots of time on screens and they're not running around in the bushes or you know uh, doing other things that they could be doing, um, it increases the likelihood of obesity. That in turn has all sorts of uh, spin-off effects in terms of increasing the likelihood of diabetes, uh, increasing the risk of cardiovascular disease, a whole host of um, implications. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but... Um, yeah, it's pretty obvious, though, isn't it, what, what yeah. comes from, from that. As you were talking, I was thinking, boy, we used to be out on our bikes 8, 9, 12 hours a day doing relentless physical activity, relentless yeah. That's a, that is so a world away from today, surely. Absolutely. Um, you know, the t- in terms of 
the uh, the guidelines that the Ministry of Health have issued for you know what they recommend for children screen time at, at various ages, kids are just absolutely exceeding that by just huge huge amounts. But the issue for me there, which takes us off on a bit of a tangent, you I don't know if you want to do that now or later, but uh, no, let's just go with it. <laughs> The Ministry of Health have issued guidelines. Um, I'll just run you through, through them. They recommend zero, zero recreational screen time for children under two. By the way, I'm, I'm actually in agreement largely with the Ministry of Health guidelines. I don't always agree with the Ministry of Health. There's quite a few things I don't agree with them on, actually. But uh, in terms of these guidelines, I think they're pretty much spot on. So they're saying under twos, zero. Uh, less than an hour per day for kids aged two to five and fewer than two hours per day of passive screen time for those aged five to 17. 17 or yeah. seven? 17. 17. 17. Yeah, right. right what was through. the threshold again? Sorry. So um, fewer than two hours per day of Good passive screen that. time Yeah, for those aged five to 17. Right. That's a quite a broad age group. I, I would have thought that that's too general uh, because they're really hitting it at about, what, 11, 12, 13, really, um, that, yeah. with the peer pressure particularly, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of changes happen between 5 and 17, as, as we all know. And good luck telling your 17-year-old to do that. <laughs> I wish you well. Exactly. Um, so yeah, we can kind of talk about about that. Maybe they should have broken that down a bit more. I, I, I tend to agree with, with you on that. Um, but the interesting thing is, the Ministry of Health surveys find that those guidelines are being exceeded by nearly ninety percent of children younger than fourteen. Gosh, okay, so it's a losing battle at this point. Well, in terms of what's happening at the moment, um, you know, the Ministry of Health are saying hey, you know, this is what we recommend is suitable for children and, you know, good for their development. It's not going to be harmful and all that sort of stuff. But what are they doing about it? To me, the issue is, you know, they're issuing these guidelines. They've done surveys to find that these guidelines are being completely exceeded by a huge amount. And yet what kind of messaging are they giving to the public about this? I don't hear any. I think they're abdicate, abdicating their responsibility to alert people to the risks of excessive screen time. They've, they've issued these guidelines, and yet they're not giving any communication to the public about, hey, you need to take these guidelines seriously. Uh, what would you think of doing in that case like relentless advertising and and marketing and advisory campaigns that are in your face all the time absolutely yes because it's a massive issue like i say it is the number one issue that's causing conflict in the home today and but, yeah. a, a lot of that a lot of that is based on ignorance um not only by the the parents but of the kids themselves of the dangers and so they they have mum and dad saying, oh, you know, get off your screens and all that and you've had enough time for today. But they don't, uh, they don't understand why that's important and why it would be beneficial to them to come off their screens and do something different. Yeah, I can see how, you know, it's convenient for parents as well because it kills time and, and means that the, uh, I guess, the intensity of your supervision and, and uh, monitoring what your kid is doing is is not so it's not there when they've got something else to distract them how do you because this conflict in the home thing that that's not good how do you work against that I, again i'm thinking of when i was a parent would i've got them together family together and say okay here are the rules all right here are the rules they've got to be like this because this 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 and this you might not like it here are the rules rather than sort of loosey-goosey Am I oversimplifying? <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, yes and no. I mean, I think I think yes, um for children at the younger ages, then yes, we we can be 
far stricter in terms of this is, hey, this is it, this is what goes. But I think it's really, really important as children get older that the, um, the whole screen time issue is negotiated with their understanding. And with that goes a lot of education. But obviously parents can't educate kids about the downside of screen time unless, unless they themselves are educated and, and they know the psychological and the, the physical effects. And that's what that comes back to what you were just saying about, uh, exactly. yeah, yeah, uh, I take your point. Uh, we'll get on to the uh, just finishing with the physical stuff. I've always wondered about what that screen does to eyes, especially young eyes. Yeah, and op- optometrists are, are actually uh, promoting. I actually sort of noticed um, the other day when I went to, to an optometrist um, uh, for a bit of a checkup, and uh, the notice was was very much saying you need to you know get kids outside to protect against myopia because i didn't actually know this but when um kids are outside and all of us in, in fact um the something to do with i think it's the uv exposure to the natural uh, light mm. um releases dopamine in the retina of the eye oh, okay. again, I'm, yeah, not, yeah. I'm not a specialist in this area this is outside. No, of course not but... Disease, but this mm. is what I've, I've read and i understand people can check this out um, but apparently dopamine is released by the retina, which is protective against the development of myopia. So if you think about it, when kids are on screens, on the one hand, staring at a screen is, is well known to not be good for the eye because kids aren't using the muscles of the eye. They become less flexible. Again, this is all stuff that I've read about. It's not my area of expertise, but I've, people can check up on this. Um, so if they're looking at screens for, for extended periods of time, their eyes are kind of being, being damaged by the actual the fact that they're just staring at a screen and not moving normally and focusing at distance and all that kind of stuff. But also, as a double whammy, they're missing out on the protective beneficial effects of their eyeballs being outside in the environment. Okay. Well, good old nature again strikes, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so let's move into this conflict in the home thing then. So if screen time's being exceeded 90% and probably more in some cases, I know you can only go to 100%, but you know some people probably spend all their time in it, um, then you've got uh, a lot more time for conflict. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um... <laughs> so... Again, back in the day, you're dealing with issues that come up that are you know not very long lasting. When you've got kids in screens for hours and hours and hours, and mm-hmm. you know refusing to not look at their screens or going back to them when they can as soon as possible, that's an ongoing pattern potentially. If we're talking conflict, of moments that can generate ongoing conflict. Yeah, absolutely, and, and many many parents will relate to this. You know, as soon as they you know try and get their child to come off the screen um there's an eruption you know because kids get really really engaged in the, in their games um and i can kind of understand it you know if i'm if i'm doing something and i, and I can't finish it i i have a sense of frustration so I, I can understand if kids are really wrapped up in their game they're going to be frustrated if um you know they're hauled off it so I think some flexibility is important. I think it's it's important for parents to give kids uh, some advance warning um, so they can maybe finish the game that they're on. So like half an hour, 15 minutes, something like that? I guess it depends on the uh, on the Three minutes. Playing, you know, <laughs> 30 seconds. <laughs> which is why, again, it's important that we have an understanding of what kids are doing online, you know, so that we can give them reasonable timeframes in terms of a warning of when when they're going to need to come off. Yeah, but then you've got to know what they're doing as well. And you've got to be able to believe what they're telling you. Yeah, and there is definitely scope for, um, you know, kids to be deceptive there and to sort of, you know, sneakily start a new game, you know, and pretend to be on the old one. And, And my kids definitely... Uh, did that quite a few times, but it's a matter of working around it, getting getting 
getting familiar with the time frame of the games um, and, again, educating them and talking to them so that they understand why it's important that they take breaks and that they do have, you know, a certain amount of time for their games or whatever else they're doing online, but they do need to do other things. Is it like, for kids, is it like like a, an addiction, you know, like an addiction as we understand it? They can get addicted, like we get addicted to, I don't know, smoking or, or, or something, gambling. Is it that same sort of function? Yeah, definitely. And I, th- I think, you know, a lot, of, a lot of these games are designed to be addictive. Um, you know, the, every time you get these little rewards when you, when, you, when you do a shoot or a kill or whatever the nasty things they do on these games, <laughs> um, you know, every time they get a little reward, that's, you know, gives a little bit of, um, a, a bit of pleasure, probably a little bit of a dopamine hit. Um, you know, the little um, notifications they get on phones when they're doing stuff, you know, the dings, you know, it's a little, a little bit of excitement. Um, and if, if kids get used to experiencing this pleasure and excitement through their gaming or whatever they're doing online and they find that they can't get that offline, then you have a worrying situation where they start to become dependent on their own online stuff, you know, for that feel good feeling. Yeah. That's a, that's a problem. eh? That's when you have to head off and see you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it can be, it can be counteracted by parents being involved with their kids, ensuring that their kids are getting lots of excitement and fun from a whole range of recreational activities you know, that don't involve screens um, so that they, yeah, they can enjoy their, their online stuff, but they also have, you know, a heck of a lot of fun doing their sport or doing their, um, you know, their drama or whatever their particular interests are. Are those enough in this modern world now to offset the attraction of the devices and the games, though? It's becoming a, a tougher ask, you know, as the games get get kind of more more entertaining and more complex and more addictive probably. Um, but, you know, there's a big wild world out there. There's lots and lots of great fun things that parents can do with the, with their kids or involve their kids in, you know, by taking them to, to clubs and activities, et cetera. So um, I, I just think it's really important that kids have a range of recreational activities uh, after school and they don't just come home uh, five days a week and go straight onto their devices. What are the signs that there's a real problem developing that's starting to get beyond just the home management, parental management, considering everything that's going on, two jobs probably in the household, all of that and time poor. What what are the noticeable signs when you should be thinking, oh, wait on, you know, something's not right here. This is This has gone too far to feel comfortable about it anymore. I think if, um, if kids are getting to the point where, uh, I mean, for some children who maybe lack confidence, um, they find it more comfortable to relate to their peers online than they do in real life. And if they're, if they're doing more and more of their social stuff online and less and less in real life, I think that's a, a red flag. So the absence of a physical friend group. Well, I mean, they've probably got a physical friend group that they, they see at, at school or yeah. maybe at school. But around the house, around the home, around the suburb, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, an absence of actually connecting with those people in the real world out of school hours. Yeah, I think if they're not really too bothered about that and they're just wanting to connect with them online all the time, then that's, that's a concern. Okay. So what's a good strategy for at least moving into doing something about it? Obviously uh, there's professional help available, um, but you know, what are the steps before you like end up at your doorstep? (laughs) Help. Yeah. Um, I think it's a journey. Um, it, it's not something you can solve overnight. 
I think it needs to start at a really, really young age where, um, where kids do get used to having limits on their screen time, but as early as possible to start to feed them information as to what are the reasons why this screen time does need to be limited and why they do need to do a range of other activities. So the earlier we start that process of education and negotiation, the better. We can still be fairly, um, you know, we're in charge, particularly when they're, they're at the younger ages and we're the parents, so we need to ultimately say what goes. But particularly as kids start moving into, into their, you know, um, early teens and so forth, and even before that, um, we, we need to increasingly involve them in the whole process of sorting out a schedule. Just give you an example. If we're too heavy-handed about it, we can actually cause more problems than we're solving. Uh, for, you know, for, for example, kids sometimes feel very anxious if they haven't managed to kind of check out what the, the chat is amongst their friend group. Uh, so if they are not allowed to kind of have a quick check on that sometime before they go to bed, you might find they're lying in bed worrying about what's going on because they feel that they're out of the loop, they don't know what's going on, and that can cause anxiety. So we need as parents to, as much as possible, explore with our children what is the function of this screen time for them, what, what's in, really important to them, and if it's something like keeping in touch with what's going on with the, the friend group, then I think we need to talk to them about, okay, well, how can you do that so that you are happy and you're not anxious going to bed, but without making it hard for you to sleep by having a load of screen time just before bedtime, which obviously isn't ideal. So there might be a, a schedule whereby, you know, when they come home, they have a snack or whatever, and then they have an hour of screen time, and then they, there's, there's family time. They're expected to sit down, you know, and have a meal with the family. They have maybe some one-on-one -on -one time with parents playing a little board game. Obviously, it depends on the age. Um, and then maybe they get another chunk of, 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 of playtime on their screens, um, you know, in the early evening, have another break, and then maybe they're allowed a little 10 or 15-minute time slot before they go – before they do their bedtime routine, just to kind of have an update on what's going on, if that's what they need. Yeah. Well, that sounds reasonable. I and so. I, can, I can see the sense <laughs> of it. You're, you're letting the pressure out is what you're doing. Yeah. I, th I, think, I think the biggest mistake parents can make is just to be very rigid and just say, right, you're going to get this much time between then and then, and that's it. I think I think parents need to talk to their kids about what is the function of their screen time, what do they get out of it, what's the schedule that will work for them that also the parents feel comfortable with. And that there's so many variations on that that, you know, there's there's lots of possibilities of schedules that, that can work and, and feel feel comfortable for both the, the children and the parents. Is there a difference between handling the situation sons and daughters? Um, it's my impression that that I could be wrong that that uh, boys are more into the kind of the gaming thing, and and girls are more into this like the social media groups thing. I could be completely wrong, but is there a you know a division in, in interests there? Um, yeah, I, 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 my impression is that what you just described is. There's probably quite lots of truth in that. Obviously, you know, it, it's it's a generalisation, but broadly speaking, I think that that's probably uh, fairly near the mark. And so, particularly for girls, it might be important for them to be allowed that little window of time to check in with a friend group chat, you know, before they then have their wind down bedtime routine, you know, rather than being told six o'clock. Yeah, like some sort of camp no commandant more. barking yeah. out the orders. Yeah, exactly. I think we just need to be aware that um, being too rigid might not be the best strategy. I'm talking with registered child psychologist Michael Vaughan. 
Is it a good idea to incentivize the screen use and have, you know, some privileges that you might have available for adhering to the main plan? Definitely, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when kids, when kids, yeah, appropriate behaviour, whether it's to do with screens or anything else, um, you know, we we need to praise it, we need to reward it, we need to reinforce it so that it's more likely to to continue and to happen again. What would be a good way of doing that? Do you reward them with more screen time or something, <laughs> something else? <laughs> Preferably something else. I mean, I, I think. I think having some one-on-one time with kids is really important at some point in the evening. Um, and kids often really, really enjoy that. Even in this day and age, you know, I think they, a lot of kids still, still love some one-on-one time, whether it be chat time, um, you know, when they're in bed or whether it be, um, you know, board games earlier. Um, yeah, there's, there's, and, or just reading, know, just reading just to them, reading, read yeah, them a absolutely. great story, blow absolutely. their minds with a story. Yeah, and, you know, and getting outside, playing a bit of basketball or soccer, or whatever they're into, um, all that stuff, as we were saying earlier, you know, it, it shows them that they can get excitement and enjoyment away from screens. Then they're not needing, they're not, it makes them not so dependent on screens to get that buzz, if you like. What about the social media stuff? Because, uh, I mean, I, I only hear what I, you know, hear from people and, and read and stuff and, and, and <laughs> take in via osmosis almost. But it seems to me that this is a, a huge area of concern. And people, young kids, not so young kids, can get really screwed up in this. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, for, for, for us when we left school, we walk through the gates and whatever dramas have been happening during the day, we could kind of switch off once we walked out of the gates and went home, you know. But nowadays they're connected 24-7. Um, some, some kids even have their phones in their bedrooms at night and they're probably, you know, waking up at weird hours and going on their phone. You know, it's just... Um, well, any notification, right? Yeah, absolutely. So... I, I, I think it's really, really important that kids have some relaxation time, some downtime. Um, what, what about what yeah. they're looking at, though? This is what I'm – how do we know what they're looking at? How do you effectively police that? Or, well, you can't just leave them to it, can you? Again, I think that, that comes, comes back to what we talked about earlier, that the, the, the earlier parents – can get involved in what their kids are doing on devices rather than using devices as as childminders, um, the better. I think it's really important that, that parents um, do some interactive stuff, you know, and encourage kids to do things that involve interaction online rather than just passively, you know, blogging out and watching things. So if parents can be involved in what kids are doing online, um, I think that's really, really positive and really helpful. Should you police, though, i.e. look at their phone or, or you know, agree to, you know, full disclosure kind of thing? I mean, is that too much, wanting to know where you've been, what you've been looking at? I want to see the images. Is that too invasive? Ooh, that's a toughie. Um, I don't know if there's a black and white answer to that. I think, I think parents do need to be uh keeping an eye on what kids do online particularly when they're younger also of course you know as they get older they've got to have more privacy they've got to have um you know we can't we can't be you know reading every conversation they have you know once they're in their in their teens okay there's teens and then there's almost teens i'm thinking of almost and young teens if you don't know who they're talking to, what do yeah. you do? Yeah. Um, again, I think it's a matter of just being subtle and, and trying as much as possible to be involved with what they're doing online, so that you 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 know you know you know whether they're playing games or whether they're hopefully investigating an interesting topic. <laughs> that would be nice. Um, or whether maybe they're on uh, chat sites, in which case you'd want to know a little bit more about who they're talking to. Um, yeah, kind of keeping an eye on things in a subtle way, 
as possible, I think is a good idea. I mean, I, I've, I've always wanted to know, you know, what my boys had been doing online and just by just wandering by and having a quick look, you know, and, uh, <laughs> you, but you, you can't, you, you can't be there every minute. And so again, it is to some extent a process of education that needs to be started as, as a, a young age and then followed on. Yeah, I was just thinking that maybe you insist that they have a password on their phone and you insist that if you've got a password, I know the password too. That might be a bit of a disincentive because they know that you can plough in there any time. Yeah, it's, 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 I can't really give you a black and white answer to that. I think it depends on your relationship with the child. It depends on the age of the child. Um, certainly if kids are going to have a phone or other devices at a young age, and I'd encourage parents to delay it as long as possible. But if they are going to have those devices at a young age, I think part of the deal when when they're at those younger ages, um, you know, five, six, seven, eight, those sort of ages, um, part of the deal might be, okay, you can have that device as long as X, Y, Z, you know, this is the deal. Take it or leave it. And you could um, understand who the friend group is. You might not get everyone, but then talk with their parents and say, okay, our kids are in this friend group. Um, and as many of the parents of that friend group as possible are aware of that, then you can be aware in an even better way, right? Absolutely, yeah. <clears throat> Again, I, I, I found that very uh, useful as a, a parent to be in touch with the parents of the kids in the friend group. Um, so we could alert each other if we kind of picked up on anything. Because sometimes you do see things, you know, online. You know, you do you do see some messages that um, you know you, you you're concerned about, or sometimes you, your child might tell you about something that's going on, and and actually, you know, together you read the messages, and as a parent you think, no, this is not on, and you can actually, you know, call other parents and and kind of put them in the loop and hopefully sort it out. Well, like uh, at the start, I was giving you how it was in my era with my family and the one screen. The next thing along is AI <laughs> starting to make its presence felt now, but it ain't nothing yet. It's it's mm. coming and it's going to be difficult to separate out the real world from the simulated world if you're looking at a screen. So that's coming. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Again, I guess you know the the more the more realistic and the more high tech um, things get, the 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 more powerful the attraction, um, you know, to kids to to get on screens more and more. And you know, there's there's such a range of uh, psychological and and physical downsides. I mean, what one aspect of the the physical downsides that we didn't touch on earlier is that most parents don't realise that these devices are nowhere near as safe as most people think. Oh, okay. Tell uh, me more. Well, any, any, any device that's um, using Wi-Fi or wireless technology is emitting microwave frequency radiation. And um, the telecommunication companies know that this is poten potentially harmful and um, as such, they, they put safety guidelines in phones to tell people how to protect themselves from the harmful effects of the radiation. The thing is, they don't really want people to get too knowledgeable about this. And so what do they do? They bury this information about eight levels deep in the menu of the phone. Okay. You never go there. You never so go people, there. People virtually never, never read it. Well, this is really important, isn't it? Because especially from a young age, exposed to what years of this um, microwave frequency could, yeah. Yeah. Mm. And um, children are way more vulnerable than adults because of the thickness of their skulls. Obviously, their, their skulls are a lot thinner. Um, and other physiological factors involving the amount of fluid in the brain, all that kind of stuff. Children... Uh, are much more vulnerable to the exposure of the radiation from devices than adults. And yet the safety standards, such as they are, 
are absolutely geared to fully grown adults, not children, and, and not people who are more sensitive to the ill effects of the radiation than others, because there's a group of people who uh, are electro-hypersensitive. It's a condition that's recognised in some countries around the world, but not New Zealand. Um, you know, there are huge individual differences between how sensitive we are to this type of radiation. And there's a group of people at one end of the continuum who are very, very sensitive. So does the Ministry of Health have anything to say about that? <laughs> well, see, what we have to understand here is that the Ministry of Health take their advice on this issue from an advisory committee. But because of the influence of the powerful telecommunication companies, those committees are very, very heavily loaded with people who are representing the industry. And oh, this is just like the farmer. This is just like farmer. Oh, absolutely. It's exactly the same thing. It's You've got massive corporate lobbying, corporate interests involved. Um and, and so the information that's being fed to the Ministry of Health by this advisory committee, um, to my way of thinking, is, is, is not independent. Um, in fact, one of the leading voices on that committee is a guy who has a business measuring the radiation from cell towers and other, other devices. And he has, um, he has contracts with the telecommunication companies. So he's obviously very, very closely connected with them, and yet he's a leading voice on this committee that's advising the Ministry of Health about safety standards. So I don't think he's able to give independent advice because of his, what I believe is a conflict of interest. Well, it's his a clear conflict of interest. It's Absolutely. I don't even have to think about it. We've actually a group of us um, uh, that are promoting the use of safer uh, technology. We're known as Safer Tech NZ. Uh, we're just putting a website together at the moment, which will give parents a place to go to get lots of information on this subject. Um, and we have written a letter of complaint to uh, the Minister of Health. Good luck with that. <laughs> pointing out the yeah, exactly pointing out the conflict of interest, and just got the usual pathetic reply, basically saying, "Oh, this is inevitable in a small country like New Zealand." And uh, we're satisfied that this conflict is being successful. No, it's not inevitable. Yeah, of course. It's a completely <laughs> manageable situation. Of course. But um, the trouble is there's money involved. And, you know, um, the government and the telcos both want technology to progress. They don't want anything getting in the way of technology. And if you, if you start taking notice of the thousands of studies that are showing that harmful effects are occurring at levels way below the New Zealand safety standards, well, that gives the telcos a massive problem then, doesn't it? Because then they have to completely change the way they um, arrange their infrastructure. All sorts of new safety measures would have to be introduced in terms of, um, you know, the radiation from all these iPads and you know, phones and all these other devices. So it would be massively inconvenient. So what have we got? We've got a situation where the government and the telcos, hand in hand, are just preserving the status quo. And anyone like myself who questions it is just kind of a nuisance and we get the normal kind of standard replies. Yeah, I don't know how many times I've heard that. Yep. <laughs> Michael, I've heard that so many times particularly recently. So no surprise at all there. So what, okay, what to do about it? Let's say in the home, Wi-Fi is everywhere. Um, do you put one of these sort of cages in or do you wrap phones and things? I mean, are there any ways of mitigating that at all? Absolutely, yes. Um, it depends on how far you want to go, of course. But um, some very, very simple precautionary measures that would still enable you to use, you know, the internet and use devices and all that, you know, because we all we all like our technology. Um, there are some very simple things we can do. The, the simplest one is turn Wi-Fi off at night. Oh, that's a that course. 
Of course. At, at, at night, you're not using it, or you shouldn't be. <laughs> um, no. And your Maybe body in your needs, sleep. Your body needs to heal during its sleep. It doesn't need artificial pulses of this, you know, radiation. There's these unnatural frequencies that the body isn't isn't sort of used to in evolutionary terms. Um, it's much better if our bodies are allowed to just rest peacefully at night and do their repair work rather mm. than mm. being bombarded by pulses of uh, microwave frequency radiation. Being slowly cooked, very slowly, but a little bit. Yeah, well, it's interesting you should say that because um, the safety standards that are in place in New Zealand and many countries around the world are based on a very, very dubious assumption. And that assumption is that if the radiation isn't powerful enough to heat your tissue or slowly cook you, in your, in your words, um, then it's safe. But in actual fact, there are thousands of high-quality research studies published in reputable journals, peer-reviewed by independent scientists, clearly showing that there are biological effects on the body from radiation that's way, 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 way lower uh, uh, intensity than the, the, the safety standards. Yeah, having burning layers of flesh, essentially is what you're saying, seems to be a bit of a high bar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're saying, you know, basically, if it isn't powerful enough to cook you, then it's harmless. I would absolutely dispute that, and there are thousands of studies showing biological effects at levels way below what's allowed in New Zealand. Well, I know in the military, because I know people in the military, and th these are higher grade, but there's a a hell of a lot of protocol and sensitivity to how people move and the proximity that they're in to radars. Yeah. And that's yep. for a very good reason. <laughs> very yep. good reason. So I know that's that's on a scale different, but, you know, it is known is the point I'm making. Yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> the, the corporate lobbying is so powerful um, these, the safety standards in New Zealand and in many countries around the world are very much led by an overseas uh, committee, uh, ICNERP, I can't remember the actual Not another one. An overseas committee. But this committee is an NGO. It's, um, the only way you can get on this committee is if somebody on the committee appoints you on. So they only bring on people who've got on obviously the same viewpoint. And that committee is very staunch on this whole thing about, you know, we reject the whole concept of um, harm unless it's powerful enough to cook you. No opposing voices will ever be there, so... Exactly. No and worries. So you get the status quo, and, you know, as soon as we complain to the New Zealand uh, Ministry of Health about the safety standards and point to these studies, they say, oh, well, we take our advice from McNerp you know, who are linked with the World Health Organization, blah, blah, blah. Not, not another one. Oh, dear. <laughs> just keeps Same getting better, story. doesn't it? Just keeps Same old better. story, isn't it? Uh, repeating pattern. Yeah. Um, okay, well, yeah, I didn't know about that. Thanks for informing us about that. So you, you mentioned just getting back to uh, minimizing exposure to that radiation. So turn it off at night. Yeah. That's a great idea. I mean, I, why didn't I think of that? Is there anything else you can do? Is there anything you yeah. can put your devices in that that's easy and convenient that limits the um, you know that shields devices? Yes, yes. There are there are uh, military grade um, little pouches that you can you can buy. Um, we're actually going to have links on our website to this sort of stuff, um, and they are very very effective. The only thing is that um, obviously, you know, you, you've got to take your device out of that to, to use it. But at least while it's in there and you're carrying it around, um, you know, you could, you, 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 you're protected. You're not going to get any uh, exposure. Because one of the things I learned recently is that um, even when a device is on flight mode, you're not guaranteed that it's no longer sending out transmissions because your cell phone doesn't have just one antenna on it. It's got about, depending on the phone, five, six, seven different antenna for yeah. different purposes, location and, you know, all that identification, all that kind of stuff. Um, so at least if you're carrying it around in one of those little pouches, 
um, that's got this military-grade material in that sort of stops any transmissions coming out, um, then you're protected. Because so many people, as you know, carry their cell phone in their pocket. I do. Don't, because if it's in your pocket, it's very close to your body. The closer it is to the body, the more intense the radiation. Okay, she been doing that forever. <laughs> yeah, not a god. Yeah, there are there are so many studies showing that a guy has only got to carry a phone in his pocket for a, a, I think it's about an hour and a, hour hour and a half something like that, and you know the effect on the male sperm is just so spectacularly horrific in terms oh, yeah. of the damage that's that's caused. There's no disputing it. There's there's just massive amount of replicated studies proving And every that. girl and every woman has a phone in their back pocket. I, I noticed that. Not that I'm looking. And that's another close in body proximity of the device. You know, uh, we all do it. We all do it. Yeah, absolutely. And and women sometimes tuck it inside their bra, which is like the worst thing mm, they can do because, yeah. like, you know, increasing the chances of breast cancer is... Is not a smart move. Okay, well, let's um, raise some awareness of that. And you, you said that you had a website and what you have links to information on on these products and you know mitigation. We yeah. will have, yeah. There's a there's a group of us just fairly recently come together. We're meeting regularly to plan how we can inform the community about this sort of stuff. This is why I was so delighted to sort of come on today to talk about this this whole issue. Um, I myself am planning to do uh, start doing community talks um, in local libraries and um, other other venues, just to get this information out there to say to parents, "Hey, look, you need to be aware that there are these risks. There are psychological risks and there are physical risks as well, and you need to be aware of them. And there are there are so many easy things that can do. You know, turning Wi-Fi off at night is one." Putting your phone on flight mode if you're carrying it around, not using it, rather than having it on and transmitting. Um, that's another one. Um, using wired connections whenever possible, like I'm talking to you now through my Mac desktop computer, which has got an Ethernet connection. I'm not using Wi-Fi. Um, so, you know, there's lots and lots of things you can do to reduce your exposure. Probably the biggest one is never, 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 Put your cell phone next to your head when you're talking on a call. Always have it on speakerphone as far away from your body as possible. Well, that's one thing I do do more than put it up to the head. But I've always been conscious of that, actually. Yeah, um, well, I think instinctively we kind of feel that it's not good, don't we? <laughs> yeah, no, we do. I think you're right. We do. Yeah. Yeah. Also, kids with um, laptops, um, especially if they've got them on Wi-Fi and they're downloading videos or playing games, the amount of radiation those things kick out and and go directly into the body. If those laptops are literally on the on the child's body, um, that's a very very bad scenario. We we really want to explain to kids why it's important that if they're playing games or using their device, they need to have it separate from their body. I think they'd understand that. I think they'd buy that. Yeah, we can explain these things to kids. They won't always take note. I mean, my my I know a lot about this stuff. Obviously, I've researched it, so I've I've educated my kids about it. Do they always do the right thing? No. But, but if it's do, minimized, if it's minimized, they do most of the time. Yeah, yeah. they yeah. they plug their laptops into the Ethernet port and use it a wired connection rather than using Wi-Fi most of the time. You get faster connection too. Don't you? Yeah, it's more related, it's better. It's yeah, it's better. more stable. It's way better. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's fascinating. Thank you for telling us about that. Like a lot to think about. As they say, a lot to unpack there, Michael. A lot to unpack. <laughs> um, so really there's there's about three angles to this that we've talked. There's the direct physical issues, you know, the the body stuff um, through lack of motion and, and lack of exercise and getting out into the environment, all that. There's yep. the psychological problems that could come from addictive use, let's say, of this technology and uh, also not only addictive use, but, uh, you know, how you work with a peer group and, and how far you get into the sucked into the social media vortex. And then there's what you just talked about, which is something that I didn't even realize before coming into this. So really interesting. Thank you. <laughs> 
No, you're very, very, very welcome. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people are aware in terms of the physical effects. They're aware of the um, lack of movement. That's that, that's not good. They're aware of the potential damage to eyes, but I think most people are not aware of the the impacts of the, no. the, the radiation because um, it's in the interests of the of the, the the telcos and the governments as well not to. Kind of well, the, public the, another interesting part of that, because remember before we were talking about the pattern of this, because it's it's not only in this, that this is a pattern that goes across other corporate industries, lobbies, and all of that. But one of the things I've noticed, and I've had chats with people before about, you know, the downside of the radiation from um, uh, radio networks, and they're everywhere now. And, you know, when 5G came in, there was quite a debate about that. Well, try and discuss that with someone without being accused of of being a Luddite on technology and, and overly suspicious yeah. and sort of weird tinfoil hat. Try doing that to any sort of level, and that's inevitably what you'll get. And, and I noticed that the pattern too with, you know, the medical stuff that's happened. Even just going there and trying to say, well, uh, there's this and there's that. There's like a complete pushback, you know, yeah. a, a rejection. And that seems to be part of the pattern. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Yeah, it's just very, very hard to get any kind of platform to get this information out to the community. Um, the, the mainstream media just will not touch it with a barge pole. Um, to what extent that's... How, how, big are the tel- how big are the telco in terms of advertising revenue, man? I was just going to say, how much of that is linked to their... That'd be their, the biggest their, clients in the country, probably. Exactly. So they, they just don't want a bar of it. Mm. Okay. Michael Vaughan, registered psychologist. Thank you for coming on Reality Check Radio. And let's see um, what sort of response through our email and texts that we get after chatting to you. Thank you. You're very, very welcome. And if, if anyone's really interested in this topic and uh, would like to join our group, we would we would love to hear from them. Can I give you a, an email Go. address? Um, our email address is stinfo.nz, stinfo.nz at proton.me. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.